0: Introducing the Brain Can Do Podcast. Live
1: with your host. Hello and welcome to the Brain Can Do Podcast. I'm your host Ben Stevenson. Now, a few years ago, I went on probably the greatest uh, trip of my life. It just happened to be a school trip to Uganda. Working with Red Earth Education in Masindi, working in primary schools, helping paint the classrooms, getting involved with some lessons, really seeing how education in a culture so different to the Western world can be. Really lucky that I had a chance to catch up with Ronnie and Lynn recently, who were the founders of Red Earth Education, to hear about what the state of education in Uganda is like at the moment, the history of Red Earth, and what they think that we can take from sharing cultural experiences. So here's my interview with Ronnie and Lynn. So Lynn and Ronnie, thank you so much for for joining us today. How are you both doing?
2: Oh, it's good. Thank you. We're all right.
0: Yeah, we're we're fine. Surviving.
1: We're in the UK. It's a bit
2: cold, but it's fine.
1: Excellent, uh, so to start with it'd be great just to hear a little bit about your your early teaching careers and how you both got into teaching.
0: Mm. Well, we have very different um, different uh, career paths i I went into teaching or I, I went into teacher training when I was about twenty after doing a couple of jobs when I left school and not liking them um, began working in uh, in London primary schools um, about, I suppose about eight years as a, a class teacher. Then then I got a job as a deputy, and it's very, very interesting actually because this I didn't have a, a career path mapped out. These things just happened to me, <laughs> which is which is really uh, really funny when I think back because it was never my intention to go into school management because I love being with the kids. Um, but I, I I was a deputy for like X number of years and then there were there were some changes in the school that I was in and I decided to do something a bit different so I went out and did uh, some work still with the local authority but on curriculum development so I wasn't in a school and it was for a, a couple of years the, the the project um so when it was coming near the end I thought oh gosh by Christmas I'm not going to have a job <laughs> because it, it you know the funding would have run out uh fascinating work though but um yeah, it, it, the, the money had run out. So I just looked around and it just so happened that the school next door to where I was working was advertising for a head teacher. And everyone in the office said, why don't you try for that? And I thought, oh, I don't know about that. Um, but I did. I, I I applied. And I have to be really honest about this. There is no way I expected to get it. I went into this interview in, in a very different way. Um, mindset than i'd ever gone into an interview then I, I was thinking i'll just relaxed, tell them yeah relaxed absolutely yeah. i thought i'll just tell them what i think if they don't like it that's that's up to them um and, and you know if they do they'll appointment if they don't fine i'll do something else and obviously that was a, a good strategy <laughs> because i was totally relaxed i said exactly what i thought you know because sometimes in interviews you're a bit guarded shall i say this shall i say that? and i wasn't at all and uh, And I got the job so I, I I worked in that school for sixteen years. It was a um, a very multicultural, quite disadvantaged school, but great place to work and uh, gave me an insight into many different um, issues of children coming to the u k refugees you know coming from really challenging circumstances and uh, how to deal with those things, but also with the local, uh, you know, community, the, the, the British kids, um, or the white British kids who, who, you know, have been in the country forever, um, you know, and, and the issues that were facing them in a disadvantaged area. So it, it, was, it was all fascinating, really. And I, I, I really loved the school and loved the job. But when retirement came, uh, we decided to move on. Yeah, so that basically is my my teaching career. So it's I don't know how many years, 38 years, something like that. I can't remember now.
1: <laughs> wow. And that's it's really interesting. You're not the first person I've interviewed that has talked about their success and just listened to you talk there about your interview and actually being your authentic self. You didn't go in trying to be this is what my idea of what they want is. You thought, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to be myself. And actually, that probably contributed a lot to the the success you had.
0: Yeah, I, I think it did. I, I really think it
1: did. Yeah. Excellent. And then, then Ronnie, you say your your pathway was, was slightly different. Yes, it was very different. Really, I <laughs> um, I was
2: I had a business beforehand. Um, after working as a in 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 other trades beforehand, but never to do with education. And then, um, then an opportunity came when I sold my business, uh, and I was left with uh, free time and part of what I thought I would do is I would just volunteer to go and work in the local school just to help with reading and things like that. I had no experience of education at all and I was there for a couple of months and then quite by accident I met somebody who asked me if I liked what I was doing there and I said I really did. I really loved it. I looked forward to it not least because it sort of gave structure to my day, because otherwise I was sort of drifting, um, just enjoying myself, but not actually accomplishing very much.
0: But I don't think you said that you were staying at home with the kids.
2: Yes, I was. I was. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Has, it, yes. Husband, you were. Like. Ah, yes. But I was. I was. Um. I was struggling in a very male way to cope with domestic life. You know, <laughs> laundry, washing up, that kind of thing, and the and and it showed. <laughs> So, so when I found I was working in the school daily, all of a sudden my day became organized and I, I had to do everything within certain time slots and so everything got better. Anyway, I met someone at the, at, uh, that we met and they asked us if I liked what I was doing. And I said, yes, why don't you apply for a PGCE with a postgraduate diploma in education? Nothing to lose. It's a one-year course, a two-year course, I think. And, um, and then you'd, you'd be a teacher um, if you really like it. And I thought about it. I applied and I was accepted. I was amazed um, and I went for the course and I was qualified on the day that I got my, my, uh, my number, what do they call it? A DIS number? Mm, I don't know what the, um, the department's called. I applied for a job. I went for the interview. I got the job and there I was, um, a teacher in a primary school in Harrow. And I just, I just loved it. I just, you know, it was not something I expected. I I was full of trepidation. I was, Coming in as a newcomer, already quite advanced in years. By then, I was I was nearly forty, I think. Mm. Yes, and um, and learned a lot. And then I had certain talents to offer um, in music and and sport and uh, and and other things, extra in extracurricular activities. And then i by chance a couple of children came into my class who were deaf. Uh, hard of hearing um, and I met the team called the advisory teachers of the deaf from Harrow who were visiting the school in order to support those children and by training me how to support those children and I really loved that. I thought that was great because I, th- I thought it was such, it was such uh, interesting work um, stressing the visual side of education not only the hearing side of education. Um, and emphasising the use of the other senses when when one of the senses is missing. And uh, I applied to become a teacher of the deaf. Uh, So I went on their advanced course to become an advisory teacher of the deaf and I was accepted and I got a job in Harrow as an advisory teacher of the deaf and that's where I stayed until I was retired. Um, Essentially my job was training teachers in how to teach children who had a hearing impairment in mainstream primary schools Mm -hmm. and also some secondary schools which kind of prepared me for what we
1: did in Uganda mm. and <laughs> that that leads me really nicely to the next question then about how you set up and the motivation to set up Red Earth
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah that is that is
2: also a little a little chapter of accidents yeah, yeah. but
0: I, I think it I think it probably goes way way back you know I I think as you know, Ronnie was born and brought up in, in, in Kenya, so he's got quite an affinity with local people anyway, is able to talk to them well and make himself understood, which has been really helpful. I I always wanted to, to work in Africa. I don't know why. I think, you know, I as a child, I, I moved a lot, lived in other countries. Um but there was something about Africa, and I'd never visited Africa until I was 50 years old. But I'd always wanted to do this, and uh, when we saw, um, and we saw an advertisement in the TES, I think it was, um, advertising for uh, teachers, UK teachers, to join a, a program with a it was a, a, a UK charity who was doing work in in Uganda, and um, it was for the summer holiday. So.
2: This was in 2003. Yeah,
0: 2003, and we applied and, and got onto that um, that program, and uh, we were sent to Uganda, and that's where it all began, basically. Um, you know, we came back as we could offer offer something in teaching and learning, uh, which didn't appear to be being done then. We could support teachers in schools uh, to improve the the situation in Uganda, because after our own experience. Um, of seeing the situation there with very large classes, with no, no materials at all, and not even a textbook, um, and, and the way in which teachers have been trained to teach, which was obviously a very didactic method, which is understandable when you have large groups of children, but you know, the children were being taught from, um, uh, from primary four in English, which wasn't their first language. and so they were they were going into English uh, into lessons on you know, science where the the, the language is so advanced that really we felt they were learning very, very little. They could they could they could remember. that's all they could do. They, that's what they were getting. Um, you know there was a lot of um, teaching which was about telling, telling about something, asking a question and the question um you could identify the answer because you'd learnt the answer so you'd see the clue in the question and that would be the answer that you had to give to that question
2: even so, if you understood neither the question nor the, the answer. answer
0: yeah yeah
2: but a very interesting aspect of the of the trip which made it really valuable for us is that part of it was that we were to live with a with the, oh, yeah. Within the community, as a member of the community, we were not staying in hotels mm-hmm. and with with other, with other Europeans or other tourists. We were living with the people that we were working with, and we were in different places. Lynn was in one school, very really rural, um, Isagara school. I don't know, no, you, you, yeah, I don't, don't think you went there, there. No. No, but it was very rural, very deep. And I was working in a school for the deaf in Kampala. Mm living with the children and the teachers and it was just a uh, fascinating what we learned from being with them rather than learning from the people who for whom we were working as it were who mm. sent us yeah
0: yeah yeah that was that was quite an experience uh, as you can imagine uh, that
2: was because, life-changing really yes.
0: uh neither of us had experienced something like that before where you know we were go- we were staying with a family in the village and um, obviously, there's there's no power, there's no water, there's you know it, 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 everything is is so limited, and, and there is there's nothing there really uh, in terms of um, you know we, we one of the things we particularly noticed was that the the local school was very close to where I was, um, uh, but how could the children become literate if there's nothing to read in the community at all? I mean nothing, not even a newspaper. At that time, I think things have improved a little, but, um, you know, the, they didn't, the children didn't see posters. They didn't see anything that was written. And and then you're trying to teach them to, to read and write. Um, you know, it's such a challenge, such a challenge. And yet these teachers, you know, they come to work every day and, uh, well, maybe not every day, but they come to work and, uh, you know, they face those, those circumstances every day of their lives and then go back home. Uh, where they're having to, you know, dig the garden, cook their food over a over a fire, um, you know, and, and manage all that before it gets dark.
2: <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, so the working day is really between 6.30 in the morning and 6.30 in the evening, because without electricity, you're relying mm-hmm. on kerosene and candles, for which it takes money. And um, so the evenings were spent sitting around the cooking pot talking in the darkness. And uh, nothing really happened before the mornings, before before dawn, when when the houses would be swept to remove the ants and the dust and the sand from the houses. It was a very interesting routine um, yeah. to, for us who came from such a such a privileged background. Yeah, it was a very interesting routine to observe. You
0: yeah. you you just don't realize your privilege, you know how privileged. And, and and we feel incredibly privileged to have been able to be part of that. Just to. Just to scrape the surface a little of a, of a very, very different um, life. Um, yeah. you know, and that's all we'd ever do. And sim-
2: simple things, not much to do with education, except our own education, really, is, is um, Lynn had her hair cut quite short for this visit. Very short. In 2003, <laughs> which was just as well because she was given one cup, <laughs> one cup of water with which to bathe.
0: <laughs> and to wash my and hair.
2: To, and to wash her hair for day. I managed to do it. But she did it like everybody else did. Yes. And that's the it just shows us that our
1: priorities do shift when circumstances are different. Mm. So you volunteer for this amazing life changing opportunity, Mm. really throw yourself and get immersed into the culture, see that there is is a, a big need in Ugandan education. How does one go from volunteering for a very worthwhile cause to actually setting up their own NGO and doing <laughs> something? on You've sort of gone from the sort of the, the the great to the amazing in three years. 2006 is when Red Earth was officially set up. Is that right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think, Ben, we just decided that um, the best way that we could do anything is actually formalise what we were doing, because between 2003 and 2006 we were going forward and back to Uganda but we were uh, delivering training in the holidays and we were we had to self-fund that and we thought if it's going to actually develop we're obviously going to have to get other funding in to then actually promote the programs, and that one day we will try to uh, come to Uganda to actually you know embed this properly because Obviously, working from the UK, when you're still in full-time employment, you can only go in your holidays. So that, that was quite a challenge, although we did manage it. Um, but then we decided you know, that that the best way to actually extend it was to set up um, our own NGO and then start raising funds so that we could do more things. And so that, that's what we did. And um, basically go to the charity commission and you fill in all the forms, et cetera. Um, and uh, that which enables you then to, to, to do some fundraising. Um, and we're lucky as well because we've got a number of people who volunteer too, so they they have supported and helped very yeah. much.
2: They've uh, been with us with almost list. from the beginning. They a group of friends, volunteers who, mm. who are also teachers who come and support us.
0: But you know, um, in terms of um, uh, yeah, and I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I completely forgot what I was going to say. Um, Yeah, so so we uh, we set up like that. And and to be honest, you have to to get other funding if you're going to make a a reasonable difference. Um, And you have to then, what we decided to do was that we we wanted to develop a local organisation that would be independent um, of us and would in the future uh, be able to run it completely independently. I mean, we would still have a partnership with them um, because it's much easier to get funding through a UK organisation as a partner. But um, for us, you know, because of our ages, we we knew that we couldn't do this forever and we wanted to pass it over to local people. So that's the sort of things we've been doing over the years to train up the local organisation, which we helped local people to establish, which is Red Earth Education Limited. Uganda so but it's completely independent and we're in the process at the moment of the the transitioning over to them um, actually going to be be able to run it but you know this takes time and I think I think we were very ambitious
2: (laughs) at that point But, but we ought to say we had a bit of luck really along the way because we didn't really know whether what we were thinking of doing was appropriate um Essentially, our, our approach was to move away from teaching content to trying to train teachers in methods for presenting the content. Mm-hmm. And we started that um, using using uh, local found materials to make learning aids, cardboard, plastic bottles, that kind of thing. Um, and and then we began doing what we were doing with the support of the district education officer because we never really moved without without his his uh approval and he was he was a very wise guy it turns out because he 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 said to us that he really uh, he really liked our approach and how different it was from what was quite often offered uh, by people coming in to support education from abroad and with his support, really, and his guidance, he was he was really quite inspiring. Um, we began the trajectory that we eventually got to build the nursery school, all that kind of thing.
0: In the center. And, and the
2: centre. The, and right the centre, the Red Earth Centre. It came from him it, because he was explaining to us how these things in that local context carry a lot of weight. Mm. An actual physical presence. Yeah. A notice board on the door on the roadside. <laughs> that kind of thing has a lot of... Penetration in the, in the communities, mm-hmm. and although he's moved on now, he remains a, a friend and, and supports uh, what we're doing.
0: Oh, we're working with him again, aren't we, on yes. a different project? Yeah. yeah,
2: he's working somewhere else, and and so that's really what gave us the confidence to really pursue it, as a and to, to write the manuals and to prepare the training in a formalized way, and currently to make powerpoints and so on it's all part of the same part of the same and it really started from his endorsement of what we were trying to do
1: would you say since sort of setting up uh, red earth and, and the work you've been doing that your views on education has changed uh, i ask that because when i was out volunteering with you a few years ago um i was blown away by say the the resilience of the teachers and the students and the fact that big class sizes again the work that you're doing to increase their resources is phenomenal but again coming from a teacher in the UK seeing what a lack of access they have compared to what we have but how engaged the students were and how so many of them saw sort of education as a gift really and a privilege and for me say I, I was blown away and it's really sort of had an impact on how much I sort of value my own education and try and impart that to the students that I work with. would you say your views have changed on education at all?
0: Hmm. I think I mean I, I would go along with what you you're saying there in terms of the value of education because if you if you're brought up in a priv- privileged society which we have been, then you do not see the value because it's just accepted. That's what we do. We get this education. It's all free. And, and, and you don't value it in the same way uh, where it's a struggle to go to school, um, you know, and, and you realize that if you're not educated, your chances in life are extremely limited and, and so limited in, in, in a developing country um that you know it's not surprising that that you must value it much much higher than we would i don't know how you impart that to to people in a country like ours because classrooms are packed full with everything that they need um and you know the teachers have access to so much information um and they've had an education as well that allows them to filter information i think that's one of the my concerns about countries like Uganda where, you know, the internet now is there and every, you know, a lot of people have got smartphones, but they're unable to um, to filter information really well because their education hasn't given them those those skills. And so everything that comes, you know, is, is the truth. And, you know, do, do you see what I mean? There's just yeah. so much out there that it's too much for for a country that is is at a much lower level of development at the moment i think and so it's like the clash yeah. between between what's happened in the technological age coming against a, a, a culture that actually generally has not reached that but it's but the technological the technology is actually there and mm-hmm. how you you come to terms with that
2: the, the desire for technology is high there i mean many people have phones but don't have shoes you know it's not a It's just the way that the the world works. And and one could argue that maybe some things have happened in the wrong order, you know. Uh, But for us, I think the word opportunity for us means something different from what it means over there. Because we know from what we read and from the people we meet what opportunities education can provide. Whereas over there they they understand the word opportunity but they don't understand it in its wider sense i mean they there's the person in in the village does does not realize that if he gets a good education he become a, he can become an airline pilot or a doctor or a, so he doesn't see that trajectory doesn't see and the, the it's one of the, one of the reasons i suppose for the enormous dropout in in the country from school mm. it's, it's it's enormous I think 80% of children do not reach uh, eligibility for high school. 80%. Uh, I think that figure is correct. Yeah, no I rest. think so. I it's, think it's, it's,
0: it's very hard. prodigious, very hard. And,
2: and that comes from um, a lack of understanding or, not, or uh, a delay in understanding from them, from the generation before them and from the generation before them, because many people for a number of generations are, literate, are illiterate or semi-literate. And so those opportunities have never been presented to them. So
0: do you think your views on, on education have changed?
2: My views on education have changed to the extent that I think we, we need to emphasise the fact that education is not parochial. It is not just for us. It is for the whole world. Um, a little bit like vaccines, you know, we all need to be good at it in order for the thing to, be, to benefit the, yeah, the world as a no, whole. That
0: is true. That's very true.
2: Essentially, we'd like to do away with aid and volunteering and helping people in other countries. It's Because even that, you know, and maybe Lynn will want you to edit this out as well. But even that, even <laughs> offering aid to countries like Uganda, much of it is seen as a right over there. And, and it leads to a state of mind where people will refuse or simply not bother to do anything for themselves, knowing that somebody else will put their hand in their pocket and provide mm-hmm. it. And that is, if that's the legacy of what we're doing, then we should stop immediately. You know? But I
0: think that's why we wanted to hand over to a local organization, yeah. wasn't it? To build them up and then they would run it Um, and not be receiving uh, things from us. We're we're, we're happy to further build capacity. We're happy to partner with them in getting access to funding. But um, apart from that, you know, it really does need to be led by local people.
2: And in in as much as it refers to our own team out there, our innovations and and our Um, inspiration comes from our experience and from our experience of other people's experiences over there they have very little experience compared to us and certainly very few experiences of other people's experience and so they're not motivated by by that particular thing because it hasn't arrived on their doorstep yet and and that's really what we need to provide we need to provide opportunities for people to see what is possible
0: but it, it is about, we, we've talked about this before, and it's very much about this. I, I think I, I was quite quite shocked in, in, in many respects about this lack of experience, um, because if you're a kid in the village, your experience is the village. You're going to school and learning about oceans. You have never seen an expanse of water. Um, you probably won't have seen a television even, so you have got no idea what an expanse of water, um, you know, looks like, let alone an ocean, um, or or the notion of other countries and, and where they are. And, uh, you know, your, your experience is very, very, very limited, and, and, and education has to be about that, doesn't it? Just broadening people's experience um, so that, you know, if there is a curriculum and content, that there is some link between that experience and and the curriculum, because otherwise it's meaningless.
2: So to that extent, I'd say my own view, I think both of our views of of our education systems in this country are that the students in this country should be exposed to systems in other countries and really learn what is happening in other places as sort of a global experience to to put their own lives in context. Because if we don't Put our lives in context, then we remain parochial and self-serving, and it's, that's that's dangerous. It's but what,
0: it's incredibly difficult.
2: It's what leads to Brexit. It's,
0: in, it's <laughs> incredibly difficult, isn't it, for 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 people to do that? I can remember is. coming back from Uganda the first time and going back to my school, and I'd been in classrooms where, um, you know, some children had nothing to write with, so they didn't have a pencil. Uh, other kids had a pencil that was maybe, you know, a centimetre and a half long, and they were writing with that. And I'd see in my school pencils all over the floor, you know, these sorts of things that, you know, it's that carelessness because it's everything is there. And, and maybe that's what we're like as teachers in this country as well. You know, we don't really value all those things that we have access to. Um, and... You know, you you can't you can't really teach somebody that. I I thought about it. I thought, you know, I I, I was getting really upset at my school when I saw, you know, some pencils under a desk. And I thought, but this is what this, these kids experience is, you know, it's it's our fault. It's not their fault. It's because, our fault they're doing yeah.
2: that. But your school was was benefiting from the fact that you had some I don't know, fifteen, sixteen different nationalities, many of them from. From countries no, abroad. About 40, yes. That's Forty different languages. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Many of people who came to to Lynn school from societies similar to Uganda. Yes. But in in um in Herefordshire, for example, where we are now, you go to the local school, you're not going to find anybody like that. I mean the people the children of Herefordshire are not going to know what the children of your school now know just by visiting yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. those schools that you came to and 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 the changes that you made there and the impact that you've left you know because what you did when you came and the experience that you gave the children who live there i mean just by observing what you did the teamwork the dedication the care of what what you did is is it is a matter of experience i mean just to give you maybe you want to edit this out as well but we just got a job Part of our work was to renovate the nursery school in the university, yes? oh, wow. and, we, and we employed, we got funding to do it, a little bit of funding to do it, and, and we employed the best builder we could find, yes? and I had to be away for a couple of days doing other things and went back to inspect the work where they'd been painting the windows. Well, they painted the windows and the floors and the furniture and the, wall, you know, yeah. and I said, you've got to do it again. And nobody says that there you know, because this isn't the way you do it. And he looks at me. Well, what do you mean? That's not the way you do it. This is the way. We, this is the way we do it. This is how I paint windows. Yeah. So a shared experience, a shared global experience of, of uh, people's lives, I think, be hugely valuable for education as a whole. I think it would make people more generous. Not, not more ambitious, just more generous with
1: what they know and what they can do. And that, that would be a real benefit. Definitely. I, I love that phrase about, again, global experience. I think it's so important for us all to put our own sort of education, our own understanding and meanings of life into context in a, in a wider world. And as you say, the, the opportunities that when I came out with you guys definitely have had a big impact on me as a teacher and obviously the students. The other thing that uh, I don't think I appreciated when we first started sort of, uh, working with you and talking to you about red earth say, is that it's not just a a volunteering opportunity it's not a sort of uh what, what which which is great when some companies do this but it's not a chance I'll come out to you, Uganda and teach for a bit and you get some experience and you go back I say that's not your your aim is it you almost want to do yourself out of a job that you want to leave something that is more sustainable where yeah. they don't need your support and that is very difficult, I think, at the moment, building with that 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 mindset which you're working towards. But I've got no doubt there will be be teachers and other individuals listening to this who who are inspired. You can't not from speaking to you two who who want to be involved. And there is still sort of work to be done. So, for individuals who want to work with yourselves or sort of other NGOs, what sort of qualities are you looking for when people contact you to see what they they can do? <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs>
0: That, well, obviously they're going to have to be. No, I can't say that really. Um, what, what do we look for? We, we we meet our volunteers and we just have a we it's chat a, to them basically. It's it a, is
2: a sense, really, yeah, of why they want to do it
0: and and how they will how they will manage when they're faced with some of the things that you will see in Uganda, because know that there are things that you see that that we would be horrified by in this country but actually you've got to try not to be horrified you've got to be the sort of person who is able to put that into the context which is a local culture that is different than ours you know and and even though you may feel you know quite affronted by some of those things you've still got to accept that is how it's done there and and that's not an easy thing and people have got to be able to do that. Um, I can remember one volunteer and it wasn't one of ours, but she saw something which was pretty horrific actually but couldn't cope and she had to be sent home um, because of that so you've got to be you've got to be tough in that respect um, and to be able to rationalize it all really because you you go through all these Sort of experiences there that that you know have to be really thought through, and I think I think that also takes some time actually after an experience like that to to work all that through in your mind.
2: We, um, in, when we talk to the to the potential volunteers who come for for interview with us, we we give them a very very graphic ex, expression uh, explanation of what it is they're going to encounter possibly. Mm-hmm. And then we listen to their responses. And what essentially what we want to hear within the words that they say is that they're not going there to change people. Mm-hmm. We're going there simply to show what we do. And if they like it, they can use it. And if they don't like it, they don't have to use it. Mm. We're not in any way. We're not implying that what we're doing is the right way and what they're doing is the wrong way. And you, you, you may or you may not be surprised to see experienced teachers who have come out with other organisations who we've met there saying things like, I visited this school today and I saw things that I can fix it in one week.
0: I'm going to go and sort that out. I'm going to
2: sort that out. because mm. we, you know. And w- when we hear that, you see, if that person came for an interview with us and we heard them say that, we would politely decline. Mm. And we've also had volunteers who came to us and we... We wanted to turn them down and they sensed it and they begged us. I didn't, you know, I came, I, I spoke out of turn. I didn't mean what I said. I really want to come and say, I want to learn. I want to see. You know, When we hear that, that really is an open book to us because most of the people who will come will not have any experience to prepare them for what they're going to see or do.
0: Because most people who, who do come might, some of them might have experience of visiting African and developing countries But it's very different working alongside local people visiting the community it's very different experience than than doing a a visit and seeing all the nice things you know um so so they have to they have to accept that but i think i think you go with a they have to be very optimistic as well because the change that you make is going to be small if at all for all of us for all of us it will be small but, you know, that can grow, and I think you have to be optimistic that that, that small change that you might have made can really extend over time uh, to something much different, and uh, therefore it's, it's worthwhile, but you have to accept that. You know, And I think some people find it quite difficult. I can do this, I can do this. And, and, and many people are, are very enthusiastic about bringing great ideas from their own country great ideas but they're not actually going to work there they think they are but they're not and and you've got to accept that um i think that people who've been there longer um will be able to sort of filter out the the ideas that are going to be more successful um because it takes a long long time to understand that
1: that makes a lot lot of sense in terms of having that that fixer ideology in terms of well I can see a classroom across the corridor from me I can go and make a change or a school down the road that's much taking your ideas to a completely different culture as you say that whole idea that you can change it instantaneously Mm -hmm. isn't isn't going to happen and so I really like that I think that's great advice about people who come with that passion enthusiasm that open-mindedness that they're gonna and I say I know when we're i got I think way more personally from the experience than anything that we actually did physically out there. Um, and that, that's part of the, the great thing about working with people like yourself is this two-way process and what everyone gets out of it. And I guess that's to me, that's what you, you're looking for is people who are looking to get something out of the experience. Yeah. Yes, it's people, all
2: about learning. People who are open to learning. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. not
1: assuming that they're only going to be teaching. Yeah. Yes,
2: that's right.
0: <laughs> and that's I think ridiculous. you're right. I think you do tend to get more out of it um it it, it is sort of weighed towards the people who go there and volunteer to be honest in terms of the learning um but even in saying that you are still able to do very valid and important things but those things are likely to be small
1: yeah definitely so we've got um crazy crazy times at the moment i won't labor that point but hence why you're in the uk at the moment and as much as there are lots in the, the media about concerns of school closures in the UK and online teaching and what students have potentially lost from that, um, before we started recording, you were saying in Uganda, schools have been shut for for over a year now?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they only started, they, they did open them for the, uh, for, for the candidate classes, which is the uh, last year of primary and obviously the exam classes. I think they opened them about last November. Yeah. Um, but for uh, the rest of the children, they've, they've just been at home um, and are gradually going back and uh, all children will be back in school in June, apart from uh, nursery children. And um, we've got no idea when those classes will open. Um, and that's for us, that's quite significant because those are really foundational skills that those kids are learning and they're going to miss it all. And they're going to go into primary schools without any of that. So that, that is quite a big issue. Um, yeah.
1: And so your plans, fingers crossed, you'll be back in, in Uganda next month. Um, That's the plan. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, and it just... may not have an answer yet, but in terms of volunteers coming out and, and supporting and working with you, have you got a potential timeline sort of in your mind yet?
0: I think until we um, get there and actually establish the situation, we're unsure about that. You know, obviously, there's, you know, there's obviously lots of issues going anywhere at the moment. Um, I mean, the only reason we can travel to Uganda is because we're going to work. Um, Otherwise, we wouldn't even be able to go. Um, So we we honestly don't know until we've assessed it further. But I think I think we just don't know.
2: It's an unknown quantity. Yeah. 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 I wish we did know but we don't. Yeah, Yeah. I mean,
0: we are working with um, uh, an organisation called the Wood Foundation um, from Scotland, and they've been bringing volunteers out for the last two or three years. Mm. Um, Obviously, it didn't happen last year, and we're hoping that maybe that will happen next year, 2022. But, you know, it's...
1: Who knows? knows? I I watch this space. But uh, I think in in the spirit of sort of the global experience, I think it's important for everyone to hear that and appreciate that. And as much as we're worried about things in in the UK and and time missed, actually, in the grand scheme, in a global perspective, we haven't missed a beat compared to Mm -hmm. the work that you guys are going to out there and obviously review in Uganda. Lynn and Ronnie just want to say a massive thank you for for talking to me today. Um, I wish you all the best for the future. Um, and it'll be great to keep updated all the work you're doing. Well, thank you Ben.
0: Yeah, thanks Ben.
1: Thanks for the opportunity. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> Ronnie and Lynn there of Red Earth Education. If you remember when I first started this podcast, one of the things that I wanted to get out of interviewing people was to get their sort of stories of success. And I think Ronnie and Lynn and the amazing work they're doing with Red Earth Education is a great example of how you can have success on such a large scale but in particular the one thing that I think anyone can apply is this whole idea about what they're looking for of individuals they work with are people who are open to learning and I think too often we approach situations, we approach job interviews, we approach our day-to-day tasks thinking that we have the right answer and actually what I really like talking to both of those is how they're continually learning how they want to work with individuals who are open to learning new experiences. That's everything for today. I've been Ben Stevenson. Thank you for joining us.